Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and I'm talking with Christopher Kemp, Space Engineer at Fleet Space Technologies, and Joe Dopkowski, Senior Applications Engineer at 3D Systems. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey Patrick. Glad to be here. So there's been a lot of work going on with uh, 3D printing of parts for space applications, and it offers many advantages. So I thought it'd be good to discuss how successful space startups are using additive manufacturing to build better systems. Fleet Space is a global leader in the nano satellite digital beam forming for low power wide area networks. And the company's produced the first 3D printed all metal patch antennas. And that has a gain of more than 10X over the throughput per kilo for a spacecraft. And together with 3D Systems, the Applications Innovation Group, Fleet has built the in-house additive manufacturing capabilities to produce designs which improve size, weight, performance, cost, and delivery for their integrated systems. So uh, Chris, maybe you can start us off. Can you tell us a little bit more about Fleet Space Technologies and the company's mission? Sure, no worries. So Fleet Space Tech, a group of like-minded explorers, pretty much we've got a mission to connect the Earth, Moon, and Mars. That's the big hairy goal. So we're headquartered in Adelaide, South Australia. And over the past couple of years, we've kind of experienced a real boom. We've just gone over 100 employees and we've got offices opening all over the place. I think the most recent one was in Luxembourg and then Chile before that. A modest goal to connect Mars, uh, the space, <laughs> to everything, right? Yeah, just a little one. So uh, what satellites have you developed up to this point? So we've produced several classes and all but the very first one used this 3D printed patch antenna. So the first ones we produced were 1.5U satellites, so little CubeSats, and they were just a, a technology validation. So we used printed circuit board patch antenna on those ones, and that, they were launched in 2018 by Rocket Lab in New Zealand. But then we started moving on to more sort of powerful satellites, the Centauri class, which is a, a 6U, so that's a, six times the size of a normal CubeSat, which is a 10 by 10 by 10 centimeter. So a 6U to a 12U class, so double that. So they're, they're sort of shoebox and above sized. And we've got four of those in orbit. And they've all got the, the 3D patch antennas on them. And we're going to be launching another three before the end of the year. So that would be Centauri 6, 7, and 8. Wow, you're moving along quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no time to waste. So we have a big audience, you know, RF and microwave technology. Uh, what types of radio frequency parts are you making for your satellites? So on the 3D printing end, we're producing the patch antennas themselves and some of the framework that lies behind those. That's about it for what's 3D printed as part of the RF path. We do design all of our own or almost all of our own RF boards and amplifiers and stuff in-house, but that's manufactured more traditional methods. So we're talking yeah, printed circuit boards and the usual pick and place machine styles. And so how did you realize that additive manufacturing was the right path for your uh, patch antenna design? What drove you to that? Well, you're pretty much dead on the money with the, the fact that we're getting a 10 times multiplier out of the spacecraft for the weight provided. So the additive manufacturing pretty much unlocked far more capability in the satellite per weight, which is, you know, one of the ultimate costs, but also per size. And it allowed us to have a really complex geometry in the patch antenna itself, which fundamentally meant that we could fit it, as in we could almost shrink it down a little bit and, and still retain a lot of the usability and keep that 10 times multiplier in a smaller package. 
So honestly, these these patch antennas, there's no other way we could do them. Like they have to be three D printed. Yeah, they're too complicated. That's it, you know. But yeah, no, it was a, a real leap forward because we'd gone from a kind of almost a two dimensional antenna, and these ones have got folds in them, so they're not just a a one layer over another layer. So they're they've got folds and a geometry which allows them to to be both rigid survive launch and then have that 10 times performance on a satellite that's very small which allows us to go a long way with very little which we're very happy about yeah it's almost the only way you could do it so so you were able to realize parts that you could not do traditionally and does that kind of change your design perspective because you kind of have to forget the old traditional ways and you know design for what's you know the new capabilities yeah, no, it's a really interesting one because with 3D printing, of course, we can take a look at the space provided, we can take a look at the requirements that we need, and we can just say, okay, you know, what what's the best possible outcome that we can do in here? Design a part that fits in the space and almost always be able to print it with a little bit of work and, of course, the occasional email and conversation with uh, Joe at 3D Systems about the more interesting bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what we do here is to help help customers with those interesting problems we like to solve hard problems and chris throws a lot of hard problems at us so it works out nice <laughs> good business you know so what additive manufacturing processes and materials are you using for this components maybe joe can jump in on this one yeah sure so we did the the development alongside chris and then chris and fleet space brought a printer from 3d systems in-house so it's our Mid-frame printer, our DMP Flex 350, so it's got a working area of 275 millimeters in X and Y and about 400 millimeters in Z. It's a laser powder bed fusion type printer, so we're putting down a thin layer of powder, centering with a 500 uh, watt fiber laser uh, in 2D effectively, move down another layer and then center more powder on top of that. So a good kind of workhorse system, does a little bit of everything and works honestly perfectly for the the patch I've done as we were able to pack a lot of parts on a plate and get a really efficient build time and ultimately the whole goal of this is driving costs down on each one of those antennas so it worked out really well and so chris are these just a single layer of metal or are there other materials that are sandwiched in there yeah so these patch antennas they're only the single material because of the way that the DMP Flex 350 functions, it's a, a very pure argon atmosphere. There's practically no oxygen in there. It's about four parts per million when it's running, which means that we don't end up with sort of um, any of the problems we'd come across where we'd get it oxidizing as we go. And that means that we don't have sort of weaker points or, or points that are more brittle or faces that we have to worry about protecting or anything else like that it's pure alloy the whole way through in addition to that because it's a, a laser fusion printer rather than a, a sintering printer the metal ends up solid so we functionally don't have a like a, a post process where we have to bake it in or we have to really work on the material or work it over again to get the result we're looking for we do a bit of heat treatment but functionally you can take it out of the printer and almost clean it up and, and whack it on a satellite, which has massively shortened our, <laughs> our sort of prototyping time. Yeah. Because it, it goes along the lines of it's like, okay, we want to get that patch antenna out. Okay. So within a day or so, we can do a little production run. 
and then the next day we can clean that up and, and do whatever post we need and fit it to the satellite and see if it fits and then run the RF tests to actually see whether we've got a viable, qualifiable patch antenna, which is, yeah, an amazing It's a leap. quick turnaround, yeah. It's a really interesting one. Um, as Joe was just saying before, I think the most I've managed to pack on a pad so far is, so these patch antennas, for those of you who might not have seen the pictures, I think there might be one with this podcast with me holding a, a plate with four of them on it. They're about 60 by 60 mil and maybe about five mil deep with the two layers. And I've managed to pack within that build plate that the, the printer has in it. Uh, I think the maximum I've managed is 76 of them, which also really helps because that takes only three days to print. That's 76 antennas, and then we run through a rigorous qualification process. We might lose more than a third of them. But that means that rather than, you know, individual antennas, we can only print one, we can only print four, we can only print, you know, 10 at a time, and we might fail half of those. We end up with a large batch of qualified antennas uh, relatively quickly and without much additional work. The other thing that we didn't really talk about is the fact that we don't have just one of these patch antennas on each satellite. We've got four of them on the earlier models and actually eight of them on the later models, which means that functionally on a 6U satellite we've got a stack of one by four patch antennas on the front face or the downwards face and on the 12u we've got eight of them so you know it's just a side-by-side -side setup and because we've got these tuned sort of sets of patch antennas we do something called steerable beam forming which means that we can actually have our satellites talk to multiple sets of ground stations at the same time without interference so they don't overlap these beams, which means that rather than having a limitation where the satellite can only talk to one ground station or one set of instruments on the ground, because of course we're doing an internet of things setup, which is mostly working with uh, geophysical equipment at the moment, our exosphere system and geode program, means that we can talk to two different surveys on the ground at the same time, effectively doubling Going forward, of course, we're going to increase the number of these setups on our satellites. So we're we're looking in the future towards being able to service four or more sites simultaneously with a single satellite, which really opens up a lot of functionality in a very small package, a comparatively very small package. So are there uh, any technical advantages to the hardware that you selected for this application? Yeah, so... I mean, Joe can speak to this as well. The The printer itself is pretty much exactly what we needed for the for the job. So it was something which had, you know, a reasonable amount of space because we don't just focus on the patch antennas. We also do a lot of work developing satellite frameworks and other things which need a little more space. But because the printer's so straightforward to use and the turnaround time so quick, our ultimate goal of having relatively inexpensive antennas that we could then produce and work on a very small time frame. The printer and the, the setup that we're running at the moment is perfect for it. Yeah, exactly what Chris said. And he touched on it a little bit earlier, the low oxygen content that these printers run in. So other printers on the market are in a 600 <laughs> or a thousand parts per million from an oxygen content standpoint while the print process is going on. Our machines run sub 25 parts per million of oxygen. So a very big step in order of magnitude different. And exactly what Chris said, as far as oxygen contents and 
de-risking, you know, your parts from failure modes or things like that, that oxygen could content can uh, create in there. And then the printer is flexible. You could run a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that it has the ability to run different materials within the same printer with a removable print module. So having the flexibility and, and Chris's application here where, hey, we started with a couple applications where we're running one material, but now we're broadening to some other applications that we want to run a second material that machine makes that easy to do, easy to change over and run two different materials very, very quickly back to back. And then again, it runs and it seemed to work really well. And I'm happy to see customers like Chris uh, enjoying and, and making the most out of that printer. So. Oh, that's awesome. And so Chris, you know, how and why did you make the leap from the prototypes to establishing your own in-house production capabilities? And how long did that take? So it's actually quite an interesting story. So Fleet's vision was always to build additive manufacturing capability in-house. So the patch antennas themselves didn't really kick off this whole process, but it's honestly been a real interesting story how it's come together. So a few years ago, early 2020, we worked with an antenna designer in Montreal called Jan Brand, who came up with the first patch antenna design for us. So that's the first 3D printable one. So he focused on designing and optimizing the best possible antenna given the space he had and that meant that it was limited to additive manufacturing because the the geometry was just too complicated to be done using any kind of subtractive traditional manufacturing so we then had that antenna that that Jan had developed we had it printed by a swiss company called sister 12 in europe of course they produced some beautiful work and their antennas those flat antennas ended up on the centauri satellites the first few launches worth so one to five and while that was going on we we're actually talking to Conoco Minolta here in, in Australia and uh, 3D Systems of course and Joe and others about acquiring a printer that could do equivalent work the idea was that we wanted to try and get that in-house as quick as we could so we sorted out what printer we needed and started that whole process and less than a year later uh, we had one installed in Beverly in Adelaide which is our sort of engineering main hub. And while that was being installed, we had 3D Systems produce a batch of antennas. I think, Joe, on the same machine, was that a Flex 350 you guys yep. used? Same printer, Absolutely. same arrangement. We ran, I think, 100, 100 prototype samples for you to do some bridge manufacturing while you guys were bringing your printer online. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really useful because, of course, that meant that we had antennas certified that had been through exactly the same process out of the same printer so we knew what we were looking at. We kind of ran several things in parallel so that we could get going really quickly. And those patch antennas from 3D Systems, we certified in-house, did all the final kind of prep with. And those ended up being built into the Centauri 6, 7, and 8 chassis. So they're actually on three satellites, which will be launched later this year. Um, so those patch antennas, Joe, they're going to space. I didn't um, actually know that. I'm excited. About yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And of course, while we're building those satellites, we were actually turning out the first few batches out of our own printer, these patch antennas. So we've now, of course, we've had a bit of time with the printer now and, you know, we refined our own processes and got the quality to where we want so we can produce these antennas in-house whenever and however we need them, which has been really useful. So the in-house antennas will be on the uh, chassis going forward. So we've got that all in-house. Great. And so what does additive manufacturing do for your systems in terms of reducing size, weight, and performance, cost, and delivery? 
Yeah, so we kind of touched on this a little bit before in that, of course, we're extremely limited in satellite design and manufacture and that we've got two very important drivers. The first one is weight, of course, because functionally the more or the rather the lower the weight of all your components, the more you can fit into your package, which means the more functionality you get at a simple kind of level. On top of that, it's the unfortunate problem that you can make something extremely lightweight, but it won't survive launch. So we have to pass a really rigorous vibration test and G-force test on all of the satellites, which is why we produce you know, engineering models of all the satellites in-house and test models of all the satellites in-house before we'd ever qualify a flight model. So the old model used to be for every one satellite we'd produce three and one would qualify for space. So it's really quite rigorous. But the 3D printing, of course, means that we can get far greater functionality within the smaller space and weight provided. And because we can design a complex geometry and because we've got a process here, which, as Joe was saying before, is very low oxygen content. So we know that it's the pure metal the whole way through. And the tests bore this out. We've had across all the tests we've ever done with these patch antennas, we've only ever had one of them fail in a vibration test, which is incredibly impressive considering the hundreds that we've tested. So we're talking, you know, something sitting on a pad being vibrated at like 12G and only one of them's developed a crack. Wow, that is Um, impressive. It is extremely impressive. And I'm very glad that we've made this switch over and we're using this kind of technology because it solved a lot of, quite interesting technical problems. And um, how about the uh, yeah. RF performance? Is this metal that's 3D printed similar to a plated metal or is it different? Yeah, so it's an aluminium alloy. It's uh, ALSI-10MG, which is a kind of fairly mature printer feedstock that's used in a number of different things. So it's, I mean, we're getting away from things like a copper-plated system like we would have used in the original patch antennas, which would have been on a more traditional circuit board mount. So it is an aluminium antenna, of course. And of course, it's aluminium the whole way through. We use a brass feed system into it that comes directly off of a soldered joint on a, a circuit board, like a shielded circuit board. So we're copper and then brass all the way up to the back of the plate. And then the plate itself is aluminium. So we're we're working on a system here which has a little bit of changing between metals and a little bit of interesting dynamics. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we get a far greater power output and efficiency, uh, which we're very happy about. Excellent. So, you know, maybe we can look to the future, you know, can you tell us about what future things you have in your plans? And uh, maybe, Joe, you can do the same for the, on the printing side. Yeah, so pretty much as soon as we got a 3D printer, Fleet was like, okay, what can we do with this technology? So we immediately started to turn out other bits and pieces that we could use in-house, custom tools and jigs, because of course, as you can imagine, if you're producing satellites, while there are a number of sort of standard ways to put stuff together, pretty much everyone's got their own flavor and their own style. So we ended up producing almost straight out of the box. We produced those patch antennas to make sure it would work and then, you know, start the qualification process. But every second print would be something like, oh, you know, this is a test to see whether we can produce something which is strong enough to be able to talk 
that RF connector deep inside the casing, which we can't otherwise reach. Or we want to be able to hold this satellite to this test pad so that we can actually do the vibration test. Uh, or, you know, we could have someone mill up a set of frameworks so that we could do that. Or we could just print them, uh, which has turned out to be <laughs> So you ended you know, up making a lot of easier. your own, made, made your own tooling for uh, a lot of different applications. Pretty much, yeah. And because it's it's a quick cycle with the 3D printer, you can just turn it around in a few days. You know, we can say, oh, crap, you know, for this process, it turns out that we can't actually do that. We're going to have to wait for a month for this tool to come in from, you know, Belgium or somewhere. It's like, well, actually, can we produce it in-house? Can we put something together which will cover that gap and mean that we don't have to wait the time and we can just continue development? And of course, on, on top of that, because we're working on the satellite stuff, we didn't limit it to tooling. We started working on satellite frameworks themselves. We were like, okay, you know, can we produce something which will actually substitute in, be a lighter framework, be a more, you know, durable framework, take up less space, be lighter? What else can we do with this? So we started developing structural frameworks as well. And the same material that we're using is a fairly tough strong aluminium structural alloy so we managed to get away with quite a complex set of tests generative design and latticework structures and all these other wonderful things which you really can't produce any other way we've started to put together the the goal to try and produce as much of the the satellite 3d printed as possible and uh, going forward in the future we're actually looking at seeing whether we can do what are called compliant mechanisms built into the satellite structure themselves, which means that rather than having a satellite be a thousand parts, uh, 3D printing itself brings that down to you know a couple of hundred because you can combine parts and, and eliminate fasteners and such. And then on top of that, we're looking at printing perhaps hinges into the structure so that you can have your deployment mechanisms be part of the same print, you know, one print. Uh, does your, your solar panels, their own hinges, the main body of the satellite, and something we're looking at, although is taking a while to, to mature because it's quite an interesting process, is actually 3D printing the springs in there as well. So we're going to see whether we can't just have, you know, 90% of a satellite structure moving parts printed in the same print uh, wow. and no assembly required. All you need to do is clean it up and, and qualify it. So yeah, interesting times. Joey's going to need more printers. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know, I know. It's that's touching into some of the really powerful things that you can do with additive, which is makes this whole process exciting. Part consolidation, big assemblies like that, and even as Chris has mentioned, looking into compliant mechanisms and things like that. It's going down those paths is where you can really take additive and drive performance and benefit into your your system, your assembly. So it's really cool to see. Okay, thanks, Chris and Joe, uh, for talking with me today about how successful space startups are using additive manufacturing to build better systems. To our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microjournal.com. Thanks for listening.